We will now hear argument in Veneman against the Livestock Marketing Association. Mr. Needler. Justice Stevens, and may it please the Court. Congress enacted the Beef Promotion and Research Act in 1985 in the midst of a serious depression in the beef industry. The beef industry found itself unable to respond to that situation through the promotion of its products. Congress responded to that situation by establishing a government program of promotion, research, and consumer information. In the Beef Act, Congress prescribed the central message for advertising under the Act. Congress established a government body, the Beef Board, to administer and implement the program, and it placed the program under the control of a Cabinet officer, the Secretary of Agriculture. Mr. Needler, will you tell us how this case differs, if it does, from what was before the Court in United Foods? What meaningful distinctions do you find? Well, the the important distinction is that the two grounds on on which we are defending the statute here were not addressed in in, uh, in United Foods. Uh, in particular, the government speech argument that, that what I just said goes to that the Court specifically did not address because we, it had not we've been. We've never addressed that in, in, in none of these cases. In these cases, right. have we? Uh, the Court has not. And we think that that is a, a the uh, critical point about this, about this case and these programs. These are government, these are programs of government speech. As I said, Congress itself prescribed the central message. Congress established the government board, all of whose members are appointed by the secretary to administer it. Does it remain government speech even if you don't say this is your government speaking? If it, you say, uh, you know, America's cattlemen are speaking, it, 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 it's still government speech? It, do, it does for, for purposes of this court's government speech doctrine, it does, and I think. Why is that? And the, the court's decision in Rust, I think, is, is the best illustration of that. No, but Rust did not, Rust was not a case, uh, in, in which the, the doctor was saying, this is my personal opinion, not the government's. And, and here, as Justice Scalia pointed out, there there is an affirmative effort uh, to say this is this is paid for by whatever it's called, like the cattlemen's group or the beef group, uh, which which affirmatively indicates that it's not government speech. Well, it, it, all those statements say, and there are advertisements in the record that say that the advertising is funded by America's beef producers, which is, of course, accurate because well, they It's they accurate, pay for it. but it also contains the implication that who, he who pays is the person whose speech is being uh, broadcast. Well, but, it, again, in, in Rust, uh, the doctor who spoke, I think the patient who went to see the doctor for counseling, would have, uh, uh, would have assumed or believed that the doctor was, uh, in the immediate encounter, that the doctor was speaking, and yet the, the court in uh, its subsequent cases has regarded Rust as a situation of government speech. But the, an important point about what you've just asked is that uh, any concerns about the tagline and the advertising does not go to the constitutionality of the statute or the beef order. The, neither the act nor the order requires that in the advertising. And if the court were to perceive that as a problem, the, the right remedy would not be to invalidate the act, but to instead uh, provide that there should be some different uh, identification yeah, on the advertising. Some people may, may, may be more resistant to, uh, to, an, uh, to an ad that says, your government wants, to eat, wants you to eat more meat. Than, than they are to an ad which say the meat producers would like you to eat more meat. Well, I, and I think in Rust, some people would have been resistant to the idea that your government wants you to engage in well, family planning. But what, what, the, what the court said about Rust was that the government had established a program with a central message about counseling that was then carried out by private individuals. Here, this case is much stronger than well, Rust. Well, but if you, if you say the act can be uh, saved because this is just an as-applied challenge, you're asking us to assume we can put on a label that's not true. This message is brought to you by your friendly Department of Agriculture. Uh, th- that, that isn't accurate. Well, it, it, it would be accurate. And you're having to save the statute by just putting a label on that isn't accurate. Well, there, I, I'm, I'm sure that a, that a label uh, could be devised that would, that would be accurate. Um, the, first of all, they, they are approved, specifically approved, by the Department of Agriculture. The, sec- the Act and regulations provide that the Secretary must approve every contract, every project, for advertising, and beyond that, uh, the USDA approves all advertising, all all, all copy um, that is actually to be used. So there is specific approval by the secretary. But, but there is there's another uh, take put out by the government on meat, and that, that what is the government speech? Usually, the government has a position and is presenting it. 
here we have American beef produces a label on eat meat. But if you went to the Surgeon General, probably that message would be eat meat moderately. So what is the government speech? I don't know another case involving a claim of government speech where the message that you are saying is the government's is not the message that the government is putting out when it's dealing with its concern for public health. Well, the, the government in the concern — in situations where it may be concerned about public health doesn't say don't eat meat. It, there, there may be nutritional uh, uh, standards, and USDA does have nutritional uh, standards that it advises people to adhere to. But um, what, what the government is doing here is facilitating a situation, facilitating promotion of a commodity. Uh, there is a structural defect in a market like um, a market for a fungible commodity, and I think it's important to understand what, what Congress was responding to here. Uh, when you have a fungible commodity, when you have a lot of small producers, uh, no one of those producers has an incentive to uh, — Advertise, Mr. Needler, is meat fungible? Or, or I think there are some steakhouses who might disagree with that. Well, there, there are, there are, to be sure, different cuts of meat, but, but, but the, but I the mean, basic even point quality of meat within there's some is tougher than other. Well, it, it's it, not like milk or but wheat. Co- Congress, Congress could reasonably determine under this statute that there, that there, are, that beef has many things in common. That it is a generic problem or g- generic food or generic commodity and. On some level, it certainly is, I suppose, but just as in wheat or corn, there are different brands and different qualities, but I suppose it's still fungible in a broad sense. It is fungible. May I ask you whether in deciding the government speech doctrine, is it the Secretary's formal right to control as set out in the statute that we look to, or do we look to the Secretary's actual record of oversight and participation? We think the, for, we think the formal legal uh, control is sufficient. Um, and and uh, it, it, the Secretary has the responsibility to approve, under the statute, to approve budgets, to approve contracts, and to approve projects. And USDA does, in fact, go beyond that and uh, determine whether particular advertisements will be will be issued, but we think it's only necessary to look what the statute requires. But the testimony in this case shows that in any event, USDA is extensively involved in the development of the advertising under this statute by, by extensive consultations with the operating committee and the beef board uh, in the development of the project. So there, there, this is an integrated uh, effort within the Department of Agriculture. Is it at all possible to uh, do here what, what has been done in the union cases, uh, where I mean, it's pretty hard for me to believe that there aren't that, that meat that cattle growers don't by and large like beef. I mean, maybe they have a, a ideological objection to people eating beef, but uh, I doubt it. They probably object to some content. So can you segregate that? I mean, you know, in in the union cases, the bar cases, they try to segregate where there really is an ideological ex- objection from the case where really all that the objector wants is not to pay the money. And, and so they work out a system. You know, you pay so much of your dues anyway, you just don't pay that pro rata amount where you really have an ideological objection. Well, I, I, I think Is that it possible to work that out? What, what, has, what has been proposed by the, uh, by the respondents in this case, of course, is to make it voluntary so that, that people Yeah, but I mean, out. if you make it totally voluntary, what you're going to discover is all of a sudden the beef people, rather than write a check, will say, oh, you know, I make, I raise cattle, but I don't think people should eat beef. Well, that saves them the money. Well, and, and, I, and, and, and I tend to doubt that that's their view. Well, and, some may view object to certain content. So I'm asking if it's feasible to work out. I, I, th- I think it w- I think it would not be feasible. It would en- it would enmesh the, the department in, in difficult judgments and time consuming. It would be difficult in, in the union cases. It's hard enough. It's it's it's, it's a for the good of the order exception is the way it works in the union and and the bar thing. I think it would be hard to. Absolutely. And the Court made a similar point in Southworth, where it it specifically declined to impose on the university a a requirement to make judgments that would enable people to opt out in particular cases. And we think that the problems here 
uh, would be even greater. But they would be particularly great under respondents' proposal that individuals <coughs> don't want to pay without even having to express an objection because the whole system would collapse. This is a classic collective action free rider problem. Mr. Where Peter, the members can, can I uh, come back to Rust versus Sullivan? Um, you, 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 you say that that was a government speech case. I had not recollected it as a government speech case. This, this course it was in the last government subsidizing uh, speech by uh, uh, by by private organizations, and it chose to subsidize one type of speech but not another. Did, yep. did we say in the opinion that this was not, not not in Russ, but but in the court subsequent cases, Rosenberger, Southworth, and particularly in Velasquez, this court said that Russ has come to be understood by the court as a government speech case because the gov- the government prescribed the message, and and its government speech, whether or not the government speaks of itself or enlists others uh, to, uh, to transmit the message. Well, for for the precise purpose purpose at issue here, I think it makes a lot of difference. You, you can fund private people for some things and not not fund them for others, and it doesn't make whatever they say government speech. But, but I think that's a that's a really but there's there's really no proposition that whenever you're subsidizing uh, any private enterprise, the the speech of that private enterprise becomes public speech. There's really no need to get to that point here because the beef board, uh, which is the entity that that does the speaking, is. Um, I think unquestionably a government body. It's, it's established by special statute under the, under the LeBron test. All of its members are appointed by the secretary. It's fine, but what you were using Rust for was, was to establish the proposition that in order to be government speech, you, you don't have to, uh, you, you, you don't have to say this is the government speaking. Well, I, 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 and I Rust doesn't stand for that. Well, I, um, I think as this Court has come to explain Rust as, as being a species of government speech, but as I say, there is no need, there is no need for the Court to get to that situation. And the fact that the government is the one in control of the speech here, uh, uh, critically distinguish this, distinguishes this case from cases like Keller and, and Abood. This, this is a question perhaps more for the respondent than for you, but I, I would like your comment on. Suppose the statute were changed and there was a dollar a head assessment on beef and it just went into the general funds of the United States Treasury. Uh, and then they used part of that money. Uh, they, they had more money for beef advertising and the government did the advertising. Um, uh, what would the respondents say about that? I think, I think they would say that, that, that there's something different about general taxes and, and excise taxes or focused taxes. But, but I, I don't think there's any basis in, in, in this why, why in history. Can't, why can't you just do that? Or is your answer to me, well, then it's just formalism and you might as well rule for me now? I'm sorry. Did, do, uh, maybe I misunderstood your question. Well, why, you why, can't the government, a, why can't the focused? government adopt my solution? And maybe I misunderstood. Was it, was it paying for it out of general taxes or, or taking this money and putting it into the — it's just uh, it's put into the general funds of the of the of the, of the treasury. I, they may say that that's the same thing, uh, but but um, I, I, they were drawing a distinction between paying for it out of general funds, uh, ge- income tax or something that, that we all would pay for. Uh, they say that's the solution, rather than having the industry that benefits from from the advertising pay for it. Not only does the industry benefit, but but then you'd come within f- the protections of uh, was it Frothingham versus. Mellon and, and Massachusetts versus Mellon, if you did it that way. Yes, th- there would be standing objections, objections uh, at, at that point. But, but we think in, in terms of the merits of the argument, the notion that a person would have a First Amendment objection to paying an excise tax because of the uses to which the excise tax are being put is really extraordinary and finds no basis in cases like Abood and Keller, which have to do with private association and association with private speech. But then you could simply restructure speech. this act to get to the result you want. Yes, if, if that, but, but uh, the, the funds that are raised are public monies. They don't go in, they're not deposited in the Treasury, but in the Joint Appendix, there is a, a, a reproduced an AMS, Agricultural Marketing Service, um, uh, circular that, that explains how these public monies and calls them public monies are to be disposed of, and it describes the Beef Board, this governmental body that receives the money, as being the custodian for the Agricultural Marketing Service in handling these monies, and Congress is, and the Secretary have imposed strict limitations on how those funds can be deposited. So whether they go into the General Treasury or whether they're handled in this way is really a matter of, 
of fiscal and revenue and internal governmental policy that I don't Mr. think should Mr. Needler, this theory is one that wasn't brought up at all in Wildman, if I remember correctly. And in United Foods, it was brought up too late, so the government — so the Court didn't entertain it. The argument that you're making today, I take it, would necessarily displace United Foods as having any kind of uh, continuing — Yes, because the government did not reach the government speech argument uh, — or the Court did not reach the government speech argument in United Foods. And, in fact, United Foods is back on remand. That was a reversal of summary judgment for the, go- for the government's back on remand and is being stayed pending the outcome of this case on, on government speech. So there would not be — uh, an inconsistent uh, uh, result uh, in the case. Who wouldn't want to treat beef and mushrooms inconsistently? Well, <laughs> but there uh, is the, the public perception of these ads. It says "eat meat." It's quite different from saying your government wants you to buy meat, and the, the United States isn't saying that. So, but but the, what the what the United States is doing is responding to this classic collective action problem by establishing a government program to, to meet the situation where the industry itself will, is unable to, to conduct the advertising because of, because of what I said, the fungibility of the product. And isn't it more realistic to describe this as the government facilitating the private speech of the many people in this industry who don't have a big budget to advertise on their I, I think I think doctrinally it is government speech. It has the it has the benefit of, of enabling the promotion that would have happened in the industry but for the collective action problem to occur. But it is government speech under this court's decisions. If I want to save your time, yes. Mr. Gar. Thank you, Justice Stevens, and may it please the Court. The First Amendment does not prevent the government from speaking out in order to revive and expand the market for the nation's most important agricultural product. If we can can just continue on government speech, because that's where where we left off. It it seems to me there there is something offensive about making a particular portion of the public pay for something that the government says. Justice Kennedy. It ought to be out of the general fund. Justice Kennedy, the assessments in this case are imposed on a class of people who sell a particular commodity, cattle. In that respect, they're no different than the types of assessments the federal government has been imposing for centuries on the sale of commodities, from the first tax the federal government imposed on whiskey to the excise taxes on on gasoline producers today. And respondents concede you could do this out of general tax revenues. They concede that you could have a government speech program funded by excises on certain commodities, like cigarettes or alcohol. There's no basis under the First Amendment to carve out a different rule in the case of beef. Well, what, 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 what I'm saying, it seems to me the, the government speech doesn't, necess- doesn't seem to me to advance your argument very much because it, it has problems of its own. Well, we agree with the government speech doctrine, although we also think that the Court can uphold the statute under the intermediate scrutiny uh, analysis. It makes perfect sense for the government to be speaking out in order to correct the market problem that Congress identified in the midst of a two-decades-long depression in the beef industry. Take the BSE incident last year. BSE imposes a potentially catastrophic and overnight impact on the beef industry. In response to that threat, because of the beef checkoff program, the government was able to respond immediately with the funds necessary to respond on a national scale, not only through promotion, and this is an important part in which this case is different from United Foods. Only about half of every checkoff dollar goes to promoting beef through commercial advertising, like the Beef It's What's for Dinner campaign. The rest of that dollar goes to things like producing uh, information to consumers about the safety of U.S. meat, the addressing the health concerns imposed by BSE and other potential diseases like E. coli, going to open up foreign markets so that we can export beef. Beef exports have risen dramatically under this program. And going for things like research in order to identify an early detection system for BSE. In United Foods, this Court emphasized at least three times throughout its opinion that the only aspect of the program that was the dollar was being collected for was commercial advertising. And, Justice Stevens, I think you emphasized that in your concurrence as well. And this pro- 
this program is much more holistic. Yeah, but I mean, that, the part that's good can't save the whole thing any more than in the, in the union case, the fact that some, the union dues could be used for some, uh, some, uh, uh, permissible purposes saved uh, the dues that were being used for impermissible purposes. Well, well, in the you, union, you don't want to just save half this program, do you? Well, well, certainly saving half is better than scuttling oh, the whole right. thing, Justice Scalia. But, but the union cases, the speech that was that this court held could not be funded. And after all, in those cases, the the message was controlled by a non-government entity, the union or the state bar. But there, you're talking about political and ideological speech. Here, we're talking about beef produce. Producers. Well, what's the objection to whenever you have an ad, you put a little thing in the corner, and it says this advertisement is paid for by the beef industry under a regulation X two three of the Department of Agriculture? Justice Breyer, um, the, the program would do that if this court held it was necessary. And it wouldn't under be the tough. First would Amendment. All you'd have to but do is have a little thing, and it would just say USDA requires this under the program, and then the whole problem goes away. Th- that's correct. But let me make a few additional. Points. First, as, as, as Mr. Needler emphasized, nothing in the statute of the regulation requires the ads to say that they're funded by America's beef well, producers. Well, we, we so, realize that. I mean, we're getting into it because there's at least a potential constitutional problem. And, and let me make and another. As, as you respond to Justice Breyer's question, would you go the step further and, and say, uh, why isn't one possible solution to this difficulty we're having about government speech a requirement that if you want to justify it as government speech, you put in the advertisement, this is the government's position, paid for by the beef producers. The government isn't hiding from the message now, in these pro-beef ads. It, it, Justice Souter, the government uh, could do that, but it's not hiding from this message. We think that if the court it, gets it into the — It seems to be. It, if the in court, fact, it, there, there was an indication in the brief that the government — had taken the position that if the government came out front and said, hey, we're urging you to, to eat more meat, that, in fact, it would be very unsuccessful in doing it. It seems to want to hide the ball here. The, the, the government does do that, Justice, Justice Souter. Uh, last year, during the height of the BSC crisis, the president from his ranch in Texas urged Americans to eat more beef and told Americans that beef was safe. That's the same message that went out supervised by the United States Department of Agriculture through the Beef Board to communicate did, the appropriate did he, message. And, and, and who paid for that? Did these people pay for that? The, the President's uh, message was paid through general tax dollars. Um, the, the message under this program is paid through the assessments. It's the same message. The message under the Beef Board is, is carefully controlled and supervised by the United States Department of Agriculture. If I could make a point yeah, of the attribution argument. Let's, let's be totally accurate. It's not going to say the government believes this. The government may not believe it. What it says is, this message is brought to you by the Beef Association under, uh, uh, under a program requiring contributions to advertising uh, of the Department of Agriculture. And Nobody will even know what that means, but it has the, well, that's a- right. has the virtue of being it, totally accurate. That's right. Every single ad that we're aware of has the beef check, which is the sign of the beef board. The reasonable observer would know that this is a statute passed by Congress containing a message that Americans should eat more beef, that beef is nutritious, that's, that's uh, disseminated under a program that's carefully supervised and controlled by the Secretary of Agriculture. The important thing is you have no objection to doing that. We, we would not, but we also think in, if the Court made that clear in this case, it wouldn't be a basis for invalidating the statute. It might be a basis for sending it back or an as-applied challenge. Um, importantly, but what, it, what, ad- it would, what it would be a basis for, at least within the confines of this argument, would be a basis for your government speech claim uh, in, in the sense that uh, you, you wouldn't be basing a government speech claim uh, on, on what is really a misrepresentation. It, we don't think it's a misrepresentation. The speech is funded by America's beef producers. The respondents in this case, the centerpiece of their First Amendment yeah, Including argument. those who don't want to fund it and who don't agree with the message. I mean, the problem here is that by, by making that representation, you indicate that this is the message of the people who are paying for it, and some of the people who are paying for it do not wish to convey that message. With, That's the misrepresentation. With respect, we would disagree. There's no reason to believe that a reasonable observer would think that just because an ad says it's funded by the nation's beef producers, every single one of the 850,000 individual cattle producers in this country agrees with every single state. But what they, would, what they would, I think, assume uh, is that in the main, the beef producers do, in fact, agree with this, and this is their message. 
What they would not assume from it is that it is what you and Mr. Needler are claiming, the speech of the government of the United States. They well, certainly wouldn't infer that. We think it's fair to assume, as the Court would under the Establishment Clause, that they're familiar with the act of Congress that makes it its message as well as a program. A, a critical point in this attribution argument is that it's not supported by any single piece of evidence that respondents themselves have put into the record in this case. Their First Amendment objection is to the content of the ads. There's not a single piece of evidence in the record purporting to make this attribution argument that the public would attribute the ads to them. It's not in the complaint in this case. It's not in their own affidavit. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's not because they didn't know you were going to be defending on the basis of government speech. That's what's getting us into this. Well, well I, I highly doubt that, Justice Souter, because the First Amendment claim was added in response to the United Foods case, and this case was developed from the outset on a government Which speech Which wasn't theory. a government speech case. It, it, the case was tried under the First Amendment under a government speech argument. So, I'd, so the, the fact that respondents this didn't put case, on — This case, not United Foods, because United Foods, the Court said, it, it was not legitimately before us. That's correct. But my point is that the First Amendment case proceeded after United Foods. The government's central argument at trial was government speech. The one time attribution came up, and this is at pages 46 and 47 of the trial record, respondents' own witness testified that the public was not likely to attribute the message of the pro-beef ads to his organization of beef producers. So if the Court finds that attribution is a constitutional concern, it's no basis to bring down the Act of Congress on the record in this case. I want to emphasize, if I could, that the program in this case has been effective. The the record establishes that the beef checkoff has had a statistically significant impact on increasing consumer demand for beef and an increasing prices. That's contained in the expert testimony of Professor Ward at pages 100 and 173. The record also shows that for every checkoff dollar spent under the program, there's more than a 5.67 rate of return back to the beef producers in the form of increased prices for cattle. The Beef Board's 2003 report suggests, finds, that the price of a fed steer increased by more than $200 in the past few years. This program has worked. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Tribe. Justice Stevens, and may it please the Court. As I was listening to some of the questions about whether it would solve the problem uh, to be more candid and say this is your government speaking, I thought I would begin with that question rather than uh, with an overview of government speech. You recall Woolley v. Maynard, of course, in which the state of New Hampshire, without sensing the irony of its position, said we'll put you in jail if you do not say live free or die on but, your but license that was plate. But that was an individual attribution. Uh, you yourself had yes. to carry this message. Uh, here you want us to think of some cowboy well, going into the bar and he gets jeered by all his friends because he likes beef. Well, Justice Kennedy, my, 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 point, my point was going to be uh, that a footnote on the license plate saying this is New Hampshire speaking would not have helped. But one of the central holdings, as I understood it, of United Foods, independent of government speech, was that although there is a difference between having to say something yourself, having to put it on your car, and having to pay for it, that difference does not go to the existence of a First Amendment speech objection, not an association objection, but a speech objection. Let's, let's first address the question you said you, you said you were going to address, whether in order to be government speech within the meaning of our cases, it has to be identified as such. Is that really true? I mean, you know, in, in, in World War II, uh, uh, Bob Hope would, would appear in movie theaters and say, you know, buy war bonds. Yeah, I don't this is Bob Hope. I, you, you people ought to go out now. Justice Scalia, I, I think although it's an interesting digression about whether the government is being candid, the objection here has nothing to do with that. Okay, so it, it is, it is not essential it that government, I, in order to be government speech, the government does not have to identify itself as the speaker. I, I, yes or no? Yes or no? I think the answer is yes, it must identify itself, but it doesn't help. Because well, it doesn't help. We, under, we understand that you have a speech. First Amendment claim which you're going to have, even if we say this is not government speech, I think the whole point here is to decide whether this is even no, no. Uh, an, an issue that should be disposed of on any grounds other than candor. Ju- Justice Souter, I think that we're getting off track by assuming 
that it helps for it to be government speech. My point is that a central well, theme just indulges. Of the, I mean, some of us think it makes so a no, difference. I would like whether, to know whether it is essential to, to the, its character as government speech that the government say this is your government speaking. It depends on the purpose for which you are asking whether it's government speech. In Rust v. Sullivan, even though I think you're certainly right, Justice Scalia, that in that opinion it wasn't called government speech, in order to rationalize it in Rosenberger and Velasquez, it was so described. But the question there wasn't can people be made to support it. The question rather was can the government insist on staying within the terms of its grant and saying you can't talk about abortion. When the question is, can the government force you to support it, the it, if it's government speech, doesn't help. The First Amendment makes it a harder case for them, not easier. It does well, it all the time a, in general taxes. No, Every but, time we pay general taxes, we're supporting government speech we course, may not agree with. But the Court has said there is a fundamental difference between being singled out, as in Woolley, to have a license plate, as in Pruneyard, to have someone on your premises. In Pruneyard, the Court said that one of the reasons it's okay to require someone to allow a private speaker onto the premises is that he was not required to support a government slogan when it is yeah, government there, speech. There it is, your car, your property, that's not this. This is a generic ad on behalf of that beef. That's true of, that was I, true of just, United Foods. There's a world of difference between this and having something put on your license plate or in your Justice O'Connor, I would be much more offended by having to put it on my license plate. But if I were raising cattle and I were told, as they were told in this case, cattle equals beef, that's all it's worth, and that's why we won't let you in these ads we won't let the ads that you have to pay for increase the demand for cattle, only beef. Well, well I don't even understand your argument. Would you still be here it. if the – well, I'm you're sorry. trying. Would you still be here <laughs> if uh, there were distinctions made on behalf of free-range beef or, you know, our cattle oh, yes. never had a – the most important distinction. Medicine or something like that. Would you still be here if those distinctions Well, if it wasn't generic, there, there's no way for them to have an ad for every imaginable different kind of cattle in one set of, of, of advertisements. That well, is, I'm just asking you if mm -hmm. theoretically some uh, attention had been paid to the different kinds of producers. Right. Would you still be objecting? We would object fundamentally if they did not emphasize American beef. That was our first objection. They said that they don't want to emphasize American beef because in cross-examination, the uh, officer of the beef board said consumers might actually have a preference for American beef. That would be irrational. We don't want that. And so all of those cattle ranchers who say that we're proud of its being American, they can't get that in there. And the other principal thing is that they don't think of themselves as selling sides of beef. Some of them are selling dairy cattle. Some of them are selling, uh, even if it's going to, in the end, be in the slaughterhouse, and we all die someday, their fundamental belief is that these are animals and they're to be cared for. And the reason that that makes a difference, the reason that it makes a difference that they can't even advertise, try to make live cattle more attractive to buy, is that the collective action problem, if that were relevant here, I think that was really resolved by United Foods, but the collective action problem is really created, not solved by what they're doing, because the structure of the market is that there are a few concentrated meat packers, something like four slaughter 80 percent of the, of the cattle in, in the United States. They have the bargaining power, and in the record, there's support for the findings of the district court that when the demand for beef goes up through these generic ads saying, eat beef, although they certainly don't say your government says you should eat beef, 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 that when the demand for beef goes up, the profit is pocketed by the meat processor, the meat packer, the restaurant, the supermarket, 
and these guys still end up taking their cattle to market and often having to pay a dollar checkoff even though they can't even get the price of the, of the cattle back. So right, the but it's, free ride is now taken by the people who don't pay. Right, the prospectors don't pay anything. I, I understand that a person could have an ideological objection to the content of the ad. But the ad itself is an effort by government in this area to regulate a commercial matter, not a license plate that says free speech or free freedom or justice. My question is, does it make a difference for the point of distinguishing or not distinguishing live free or die and similar ideological matters, does it make a difference that the fundamental aim of the program and 99 percent of the way it's carried out has to do with simple advertising, commercial advertising, the regulation of a commercial matter, commerce. Well, Does that make a difference? I think it makes an emotional difference. But no, but no legal not, difference. not in the context of forcing people to pay. So, so in other words, in other, in, other, in other words, a program that is a regulatory program, uh, regulating commerce, we should no longer think of that, though we tend to think of it as quite different in the way we approach the First Amendment. We no longer, in your view, should? No, no. I think certainly if we are regulating economic transactions and only dealing with speech in a purely ancillary way, that is, we're regulating sale transactions. And we regulate advertising. Speech. We regulate commercial advertising. Right. But the in federal the trade network, network yeah. didn't you say that just the fact that you call it commercial speech only means that when you are regulating problems of a transactional kind, deception, overbearing, then the fact that it's commercial speech makes a big difference. But you can't just generically say because something doesn't fit your idea of what's ideological. I mean, to these ranchers, the ideology is I didn't is, say. Is I didn't say they had a commercial who's, objection. Whose line, who's line between ideology and commerce will I, I am have? asking, in analyzing the program, there are some things for it and there are some mm-hmm. things against it. And in trying to make that weighing, mm-hmm. I do think it's different because the basis of the program is commercial <laughs> regulation. And so I want to be certain, in your view, that's either correct I or incorrect. I and if it's incorrect, I want to know why. Well, I think it, if one were just weighing and didn't have a structured set of principles on the balance in favor of it, I think you're right, would count. They're not trying to induce ideological conformity. This is not a case where they're trying to enforce what Justice Jackson called the unanimity of the graveyard. Uh, it is a case where the spirit of the government is in the right place. The government is trying to facilitate collective speech when it well, doesn't if it makes a difference. Enough. If it makes a difference, then the lens that I look at this through is called our whatever the second tier commercial speech lens. I don't so think you looked at, that no, doesn't no. follow. I don't think that follows. It follows that if you were balanced, if you were writing on a clean slate and were trying to create a wholly new doctrine, one of the things you would look at, I suppose, is that this is not a program designed to create ideological conformity in America. At least the spirit of the program is not bad. But the road to hell is often paved with good intentions. And the means in this case that was chosen was not to have the government spend some more money telling people beef isn't all as bad for you as you think. The remedy that they're choosing is to pick a group of ranchers and say to them, you are the ones who are going to pay, and you are going to pay Mr. for Tribe, uh, ads that are in your name. Would you comment on the argument that uh, what, what will this do to compelling cigarette manufacturers to finance uh, mm-hmm. uh, advertisements against smoking? Well, by advertisements against smoking, Justice Stevens, if, if you mean here are the things that will kill you in cigarettes, the kind of thing that's on the package now, it seems to me that it is constitutional, even cases like Zauderer, uh, to say that whoever sells a product or 
a service. They have to give warning. But why, why is the why is the cigarette analogy different from this case? What, what is your answer to that? Well, it seems to me that no one suggests that the cigarette companies are supporting the ads in California. California is doing exactly what the Surgeon General does. Well, it, it's odd that you can be compelled to uh, in, negative, engage in speech that you don't agree with. Now, now you're saying is the, the more disagreeable it is well, to you, the uh, more legitimate it is. That, that's I think a if you're harming, very strange argument. Well, it may be strange, but I, I think that there have been stranger things. The reason that it's true is that if you go around doing things that might endanger people, uh, it's entirely justifiable for the state as part of its non-speech effort to protect people from well, harm to you, make you give warning. Do you accept the fact that the government can charge taxes on the sale of cigarettes and compel and, and, and use that money to tell people that they're dangerous? Well, I think that's a much harder case than this, to be honest with you. I think we do, however. Well, California that does part that. Of what's going on? In California, it so does. So what you're arguing here is going to have rather a drastic effect Well, I think the drastic effect on. would be the other way. If, if this court were to hold, despite United Foods, that it is permissible to force people to support speech they don't agree with as long as that speech doesn't fit our sense of what's ideological. That has to roll back Keller and Leonard and Abud. It's not a small part of the constitutional landscape that would be unearthed. Whereas, think about what is the marginal effect of saying... I don't... I had not understood you to be arguing, uh, Professor Tribe, that um, this would be unlawful even if the money were raised in the fashion that it is, just from the just from the cattlemen. And the government's own program used that money to say your your government thinks it's wants you to know that beef is thoroughly safe. We've done studies, beef is good for you, you should eat more beef. I thought you No, I do think that would be permissible. That would be permissible. Because I mean technically it would solve only the association problem. They're not associated with the message. They're still forced to support it. But not in any sense different from general taxpayers. And because that's the case, and because it would be an odd formalism to say that it makes a difference whether we segregate that money or not, it seems to me it would follow that if the government is willing to pay the political costs of having the speech be perhaps less persuasive because of people's discount for what the government says, and of having to get an appropriation from the taxpayers. I mean, taxpayers are smart enough to no, know. No, not that. The same program, but you just have a little tag on the ad. Like, like the lockbox? I mean, every, the, I think the taxpayers know that money is fungible. Well, in, the, in this case, you mean if you had the program not from general revenue, but you simply said on the ad, this is actually part of a government program? I don't think that solves any problem other than deception. What's deception the isn't key to my constitutional argument. What's the difference between the checkoff and the excise tax? Well, the checkoff in this case is money that goes to a group which, though it is organized by the government, purports to represent so the, the way it's structured. Is the where, where the money goes and who pays out the money for the ad. That's the difference. Well, the difference is the whole structure. Keep in mind, it's not. Well, but isn't that the isn't that the essential difference between the structure in this case and the structure in in the case in which the government comes out saying this is your government saying don't smoke? Yes, one, the difference is that in one case we've got Congress, we've got the executive, we have one right. person, one vote. Here we have a million. You know, take all that out of it. Take all that out of it, and what is your answer to Justice Stevens and Justice Souter? That is, look, uh, like this, you have a, uh, an organization, the Federal Trade Commission, say, or the FDA says, on the one hand, A, broccoli industry, fruits and vegetables are good for you. Uh, crib death device, buy anti-crib death devices, buy car seats for your children, or don't smoke, or well, I mean, uh, I uh, don't buy a crib without a crib I mean, I device or a car without a car right. seat. See, one's negative and one's positive, 
and everything else is the same, then how do you — what's Whether it's negative or positive, if the government — If it doesn't matter. Well, no, it matters in this sense. When when the government puts out a message and puts its credibility behind the message, it's likely to have to balance. It's going to say a little broccoli, but a little steak. don't risk crib death. You no, know, but I'm not interested. I got that point. I'm right. not d- dismissing it. I, I understand mm-hmm. it. All right. But I'm not sorry. But I'm not understanding what your question is. My question is, is implied in what you've argued that it would be equally unconstitutional in the same way to tell the cigarette industry to advertise don't smoke or to tell the automobile industry to advertise buy car seats for your children or to tell the crib industry to advertise, be sure you have an anti-crib death device. I think it's it is. all that, assuming the financing is the same as here, everything else the same. Is it implicit in your argument that they're all equally unlawful? No. My argument is that you can require the seller of any commodity to include warnings. It does not necessarily follow that you can say to an industry, you're bad guys, we want you to put on an advertising campaign and the campaign has to have these characteristics, forcing them to advocate that people not buy their product, I think is I, not the same thing Mr. as forcing I, I them to say it, that it will be addictive or that it will cause cancer. But you're saying, I, I want to be sure I under, understood your answer. You can compel them to, to make warnings. Can you compel them to pay for warnings that are just industry-specific and in saying this is a danger? I, I, I think so, because I can't see any difference between saying — that you put on the package the Surgeon General has determined that smoking will cause cancer and saying we're going to put on television but it seems the Surgeon General to me to say that you have a greater power to tell the whole industry to publish something they don't want to publish than you do to let them but we, find, but, but <laughs> pay for out of the 90 percent of them want to say. What is the difference between telling them that I mean, there may be a critical difference between the point of sale and a generic ad. That is, the power to regulate the transaction, to make sure it's safe, includes the power to include on the package certain warnings. The moment you step back from that and say that because you're in a dangerous business, you have to publish general warnings to the public, maybe that that's where the line has to be drawn, because I agree that it would be rather bizarre. Are you limiting your point to putting, putting the information on the package, or are you saying they, they could — could, could California compel the cigarette manage, uh, companies to contribute to a large fund, which is just used to buy newspaper advertising describing the dangers of smoking? Could they do that? Well, I think that the rationale for that would be far stronger than this. The state's power to protect people in terms of life and health includes the power to compel Yes, but supposing there are disagreements, we could talk about cigarettes, but supposing there's a legitimate disagreement between the industry position and the government position, could the government nevertheless insist on the industry financing, uh, advertising, advocating the government's position? Well, not advocating, reporting what the government's position is. I mean, that when the cigarette company says on the package, the Surgeon General has found this stuff is deadly, they're not quite saying we agree with the Surgeon General. That is, making them fund or support statements that do not reflect their own belief, as so, though it so, were. So, so, so in this case, I take it uh, it would be okay if the beef producers had to use the dollar ahead to put eating too much beef is dangerous to your health? Well, if they had to — well, they're not beef producers. I mean, I am — these are cattle. All right, cattle, right? and whatever. And, and they're, they're, they're trying ultimately to brand us as though we are slicing these things up and — and selling them. What, what, what's the answer to my, my question? If, if the question is, can retail grocers be required to put on the beef packages they sell? The government has determined that the cholesterol content is dangerous if you have more than X. I see no reason why that would be harder In to other words, the than c- the cigarette package. I think the question, or at least the mm-hmm. version I'd have yeah. of it, is we have this case exactly and the only difference is, instead of getting these people together to eat, say, eat beef, what they do is they get people together and say, don't eat too much beef. I well, put too much because that makes the, it more realistic. I, All right, I, now, now, uh, does it suddenly become constitutional? The of course. program is facially unconstitutional. It is the structure 
that says to all these people, you've got to put money into this elaborate structure which purports to represent you, that is, the, the, uh, they have all this stuff saying that the beef board is related to the industry as the board of directors, as the shareholders. These people who purport to represent you will, under the aegis of the government, put out statements of various kinds. That's facially unconstitutional. All right. To consider, consider this variant. The, 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 the Congress passes an excise tax. It happens to be a dollar a head uh, on, on the cattle, just like the, this, this, this so-called checkoff. Mm-hmm. And the government uses the excise tax revenue uh, to, to finance advertising saying, maybe saying, eat more beef, Maybe advertising saying, don't eat quite so much. Or maybe talking First about Amendment problem the war in Iraq. Case. No, I, I, I think that once your taxes enter the general fund, a pretense that it's Including being, excise. Well, I don't think excise taxes are segregated in any way that, make, that makes no, it harder No, I just want to know what your position security. is. I just want to know what your position is. My position is that once the revenue is part of the government's general fund, the government subject to doctrines that I don't think are First Amendment doctrines about government propaganda. There may be limits on the government's ability to spend money. Subject to that, it's not a First Amendment. It does not have this problem. It does not have the objection that you're raising That's correct. Okay. Is that that an answer to the question that Justice Kennedy urged in the opening argument? That is, it's the same dollar ahead, except you call it an excise tax instead of um, whatever this this is called. The same thing, but you say it's a tax. And you're not, this is not general re- revenues that you collect from everybody and spend. If the structure is they take the money from you, they put it in this elaborate machinery which comes out with statements you're forced to support, the statements that don't have behind them the accountability checks of the federal government, which has to answer to taxpayers and answer to the public for the stuff it puts out. That is, if that's what it is, it doesn't matter what you call it, it remains unconstitutional. It remains unconstitutional because these individuals are forced in a way that taxpayers are not, forced to be part of a system in which, even if you have footnotes saying this is pursuant to the government, a system in which they will be generally understood in just the way Justice Breyer said, well, you know, we assume But you suppose you don't have that. I mean, could the government fix this problem this way, saying we're going to get the same bucks, but we are going, and we're going to have the same kinds of ads, but they're going to be labeled U.S. Department of Agriculture. And we're going to eliminate the Cattlemen's Beef Board and all these things that yes, we to represent. Yes, but, we but the, where this money is coming from to pay this, is I would be happy to represent the cattlemen in that circumstance, saying you still have not an associational right, but a right not to be singled out to support government speech. But it would be a different and more difficult claim, one. Two, this Court doesn't have before it the possibility of rewriting all of this. Three, there was a severability provision in an earlier version of the law suggesting that maybe if you could lop something off, it would be okay, but that was eliminated in the current law. And finally, any attempt to analogize this to the cases like Leonard and Keller in terms of remedy, that maybe we can create some scheme where only the objectionable part is returned, is fundamentally incoherent, because what is objectionable here is homogenizing all of these people into some one message and putting it out through this elaborate structure that purports to represent them. May I go back to one of your reasons, which was that they are being singled out to pay for this. They're being singled out to pay for it in the excise tax situation. Do you come to different answers depending whether it's excise tax or singled out without excise tax, based essentially on the ground that there is a point beyond which we simply cannot look behind the expenditure of tax revenue? Is that it? I think that there's a a point beyond which, for institutional reasons, it would be very problematic for a court to say that we can trace the dollars into the Treasury. Mm -hmm. And those institutional reasons would be, I think, an instance of under-enforcement of a constitutional norm, because the underlying constitutional principle that you ought not to be able 
by some gimmick to get some people to support speech they don't believe in. That would be there. But the difficulty of having this Court enforce that principle, I think, would be very real. But no such difficulty, I think, is presented in a case like this one, because if this case came out their way because of government speech, of course United Foods would be obliterated, but a good deal more would be obliterated, because the theory would have to be uh, that because it's not on your license plate, because you don't have to carry it, you're only supporting it, then that's all the difference in the world, because otherwise it's being government speech would make it worse. But if it's all the difference in the world, whether you have to carry or utter it or merely support it, then all of the decisions of this Court carefully protecting the rights of dissenters in every imaginable kind of organization from the powerful overriding theory that collective action problems mean that we've really got to get more speech over here than you are willing yourselves to engage in. Yes, but on the other hand, uh, you're you're running into the problem that the taxpayer can be compelled to pay taxes to support activities he doesn't support at all. That's well, we, the other, we do that all the time. Extreme. I know we do, we do all it all the time. And when, when that, are we crossing That's why the we line? have elections in part. Pardon right? me? We have elections in part because the only way — there's no way to protect every individual's right to have the government's collective policy suit his or her fancy. I mean, that way would but lie — it is inconsistent chaos. with the basic principle on which you rely, that the individual should not be compelled to support speech with which well, he disagrees. To support — supporting spe- speech is somewhat different from supporting activities you don't agree with. I mean, the First Amendment makes a fundamental difference in that respect. If but there isn't, were — But isn't that — I'm sorry. I was going to, it, it, don't you go back to the answer you gave me? Sure. When taxes are involved, there may be an under-inclusive enforcement of certain uh, individual rights, but they have to be under-enforced because otherwise you simply cannot administer a tax structure. Or any structure. I mean, Bowen v. Roy, the sympathetic case of the man who did not want Little Bird of the Snow to be given a Social Security number. Well, we could, when he interacted with the government, say to him, we can't make you give the number to get the food for your little daughter. But if one person says, I don't want numbers in your computers, and the other says, I don't want letters, I, I want only numbers, uh, the fact that every individual who has a potential claim on a collective choice could pull in a different direction means we can't run a system that way. But no such problem is presented in cases like this. Thank you, Mr. Tribe. I Thank think you. we understand your position. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Needler, you have uh, about three, three or four minutes. Thank you, Just, <clears throat> Justice Stevens. Uh, Mr. Tribe has conceded that if this program were financed by a system of excise taxes that went into the General Treasury and Congress then paid, uh, provided the exact same amount of money to produce the exact same ads, that there would be no constitutional problem. And in in our view, the First Amendment simply does not regulate the details of government fundraising, the the details of government accounting, and the details of of government bookkeeping in that manner. The the First Amendment is — But that goes back to Frotheringham and Mellon and Massachusetts versus Mellon and United States versus Butler, where we could trace the amount. Right. And and, old stuff. Right. And the Court — the Court uh, superseded those decisions in in cases like Carmichael Cole and and, and Stewart Machine — uh, company and, and cases like that where the court said excise taxes can be imposed as long as there's a, 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 a public welfare uh, justification, they can be spent. And it would be an odd result to, to have the First Amendment drive the way the government arranges a system like this. After all, and Professor Tribe said it would be different if the Cattlemen's Beef Board were gotten rid of. It, it, it actually — the principal point here is the Secretary controls the speech. Whatever the Cattlemen's Beef Board does, and that is a government entity, the Secretary controls the speech. So that this is not some jury-rigged system. This is a system of governmental control. Congress has prescribed the message here, and the Secretary uh, carries it um, out. Uh, it's important to recall that, that many federal excise taxes go into dedicated trust funds for highways, for, uh, for other functions like that. And out of that dedicated trust fund, there may be money expended on highway safety. So the fact that it's dedicated uh, really should not matter. And this case is completely different from cases like Keller. In Keller, the the 
the uh, state bar was not appointed by the by the government. There was no governmental supervision of what it did, and the government certainly did not approve the messages in favor of nuclear freezes, et cetera. This is different in all the critical ways that make this a program of government speech. And as Justice O'Connor pointed out, to strike down this program would have drastic consequences. There are many, many uh, agricultural promotion programs like this. There are 13 at the national level. This program has been in existence since 1988. $1 billion have been collected and promotions have been conducted under it. These promotional programs go back to the 50s and even, and even earlier. And there are many programs on the state levels, as the amicus brief filed by the states in this case shows. This Court would be striking down a lot to hold that this common-sense way of approaching things is in, unconstitutional. It's also important to recognize that the ultimate beneficiary of the advertising is the consumer. Yes, it, it affects the industry, but it's the consumer. And the very first uh, finding that Congress made in the Beef Act is beef and beef products are basic foods that are a valuable part of the human diet. When, the, when the, because of the collective a, um, action problem in, the, in this industry that it cannot organize to advertise, that basic message is not getting to consumers. Uh, so this, the justifications for this, to the extent one thinks of it in terms of the commercial speech, it, it, it is squarely uh, within the ultimate purposes of the commercial speech doctrine, which is to correct a market failure with respect to advertising in order to get information to consumers. Thank you, Mr. Needler. The case is submitted.